I kind of feel like Jack is kind of the epitome of what the sermon's going to be about. I'm like, okay, everyone go home now. Um, because Jack is the fruit of being genuine. Um, and, and we have experienced that um, through you and Miriam and your whole family. And we just want to say thank you. Um, let's get this up. So if you are joining us, um, and it's been a minute um, just to let you know, we are in uh, a series of belonging and becoming uh, for the entire year, um, but the first 12 weeks we're in a smaller series called Rooted in Scripture, Faith, Fruitful in Faithfulness, and we'll be looking at each one of those values uh, for two weeks, uh, one week on the rootedness in Scripture, and then the next week on the fruitfulness um, and so that is where we are right now, um, focusing in, into this belonging piece. Um, and for those of you who like to know what's happening next, um, which is not everybody, um, but for those people, um, so that we'll look at genuine and then multi-ethnic, and then we're going to have an immigrant refugee Sunday by the Biblical Justice Ministry team, and then we'll be looking at intergenerational, and Pastor Lynette is going to um, start us off on that. I'm real excited for that. She's a great biblical preacher. Oh, don't, don't look at that. Not yet. A sneak peek. Um, have you guys ever had a moment when you wanted to really impress somebody? You really wanted them to like you. Um, and so what you did is you kind of ended up becoming someone that you're really not. And I'm not just talking about like, hey, I'm just going to try to connect with you way like, oh, you're really into sci-fi. Um, I don't, I've never watched Star Trek, but then I say like, beat me up, Scotty, you know, just to connect, right? I'm just talking about straight up pretending. So before I met Mark, the love of my life, I was in a long distance relationship with this guy from Alabama. We had spent less than 48 hours together. We met at a missions conference in um, Thailand. We talked over the phone a little bit. And I had made some assumptions about who he was. He was this super outdoorsy guy. He was really athletic. Um, I personally was a little bit more of like an artistic person. I loved listening to live music. Um, and so then he came uh, to Austin to come visit me. Um, and when we were there, I was like, oh, this is who he is. So I'm going to go to like a ton of like really outdoorsy things. It's in July. Okay. So if you've been in Texas in July, it's like really hot. And so I'm like totally doing all these things to impress this guy, um, that I'm dating. So it's a hot 105 July Texas day. Jeremy's nodding. Jill is probably nodding. Um, and I had decided that we would ride mountain bikes on a trail that Lance Armstrong trained on. <laughs> I had never ridden a mountain bike in my life. I didn't understand the gears. I didn't know if you were supposed to like be like braking when you go down the hill or like not. Um, so I had decided that every time we would go down the hill, and it's all like little smooth pebbles, um, so it makes it very slippery, that I would be in gear one, because it's number one, um, and that I would do no breaks. <laughs> no breaks. Every hill going down. So you can imagine, every hill we went down, I'd go, 
And then he'd turn around and be like, you okay? I'm like, I'm okay. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm in so much pain. So, um, so then we go, and um, every day was pretty intense. Every day was pretty active. I was really exhausted. Um, and finally, on the last day, we went to go listen to some live music on 6th Street. And I was like, oh, I'm so relieved. Like, I don't have to do anything. Like, I'm just finally, like, my true self, right? A few weeks later, he calls, um, and he breaks up with me. And he says... I'm not really the outdoorsy athletic type. I'm more of the live music kind of artsy type. <laughs> Boom, right? Um, he was like, you know, my, my roommate, you know, he had heard about you and stuff, and, and he's a cyclist, and, and, he, and I think he would be better with you. And all I kept thinking was like, that is exhausting. Like, that is so exhausting, even thinking about it. Um, I actually ended up marrying someone who is outdoorsy and athletic, um, but also appreciates live music and artistic side of me. Um, but I think there's a sense of, of letting our facades um, down that allows us to be free, um, that allows us to experience true love and true belonging when we're truly ourselves. And the truth is, friends, is that we're all a little bit disingenuous, right? Um, it's, a, it's a fancy word for fake. Uh, we smile, we say, hey, I really love your hot pink rhinestone boots. Bet you don't. Um, and, and it's not that we're trying to be mean, but rather we just really want to be nice. Uh, we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. We want to be polite. We want to be kind. Um, and it's kind of like we get in these habits of trying to be nice, but it ends up actually making things worse. Um, it's like when Chandler tries to break up with Monica's boss, Joanna, on the show, Friends. So. Well, thanks again for lunch. Yes, this, this was pleasant. It was, wasn't it? The food there was, was great. Wasn't it? So take care. You too. Well, this was great. I'll give you a call. We should do it again sometime. <laughs> To it. Rachel, any messages? Selfie's desk. Chandler! Are you gonna call her? No. Chandler! Look, I'm sorry, okay? I'm weak and pathetic and sorry. Okay, you are gonna tell her? You are gonna tell her now? I'm not gonna call you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I said I was going to when I'm not. It's just I was just trying to be nice, and you don't deserve that. I see. I think. Look, this has nothing to do with you, you know? I'm, and this isn't Rachel's fault. It's me. I have serious, serious problems when it comes to women. I have issues with commitment, intimacy, mascara, goop. <laughs> And I'm really sorry. It's just that this is not, this isn't going to work out. Well, this isn't how I was hoping this would end, but I guess I have to appreciate your honesty. Yeah, oh, okay. So. Well, this is great. I'll give you a call. We should do it again sometime. <laughs>
been in that situation where you're like, I'm, I'm trying to be nice, but man, it's just, it's making things worse because I'm so, um, I'm not being genuine. I'm not being authentic. I'm not being true. Um, and, and deep down, it's not because we don't want to, um, we don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. Um, it's also because we don't want to be hurt. We all want to be loved. We all want to belong. And we're so afraid somebody is not going to like us, um, that someone is going to hurt us with their negative thoughts about us, um, or even worse, that someone's going to discover the truth of all of our flaws. So in order to protect ourselves, we do, we say, and we think things that are really not genuine. We pretend to be a rad mountain biker when we're not. Um, (laughs) And we can't break up with someone even though we know it's not a good fit. Being confident and secure in who you are as a loved child of God um, keeps us from compromising on our true selves. It keeps us from being our false selves. We are free to be who God has truly made us to be not based on what other people think or say or do to us. We are a diverse church. We are feelers, we are thinkers, we are scientists, we are artists, we are joyful, we are melancholy, extroverts, introverts, type A, laid back, loud, quiet. This is the kingdom of God. And the genuineness, the fruit of that, is that people can be who they are, right? Everyone can be who they are. You don't have to be like anyone else. I love in Isaiah that he, there's this uh, part that in Isaiah that says, it, 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 it's like I'm a pot telling the potter uh, who made me, saying, ah, you, you made this mistake. I don't like who you made me. That no, God made us so uniquely you. You just have to do you. You don't have to do anything else. The disingenuous keeps us from living the life that God wants us for us. Um, when we went up to, to Quest, we heard the Dr. Regina Weems, um, Old Testament professor, preach. Um, I'm still thinking about it uh, weeks later. Um, and she talked about the life of King David, and I'm still kind of thinking about that. So the prophet Samuel anoints King David uh, to be the new king after King Saul, we'll just say, it wasn't working out. Uh, <laughs> King Saul was the epitome of being disingenuous. Over and over, he makes promises and pledges and proclamations to do something good and godly and then does the total opposite. Now, David was the smallest. He was the smallest of all his brothers. He was probably voted the most likely to not succeed. And there he was, who he was, what scripture says, what was true about him was that he was a brave articulate, musician, and a warrior. It also says that the Lord was with him. David goes, he defeats Goliath, this nine-foot giant bully, and and then Saul begins to get jealous of David, um, and he asks his son Jonathan to go kill David. Now David and Jonathan were besties, Um, And so Jonathan comes alongside and says, hey, I'm going to protect you from my crazy dad. I'm going to help you to escape. I'm also going to pledge my love for you, David. And Saul tries to kill David, not just once, 
but multiple times. And David spares, even spares Saul's life in those moments when Saul's coming after him. And he's like, I know you're trying to come after me and kill me, but I'm going to spare your life. Jonathan dies in the Philistine war, and then Saul takes his own life. Later, David defeats the Philistines. He gets the Ark of the Lord, which is the presence of God, and he's bringing it back to Jerusalem. And the brother is so stoked that he starts leaping and dancing half naked, right? And, and his wife is like despising him in his heart. He's like, oh, you're such a fool. But there's this genuineness to David, right? It's like, I don't care what anyone else thinks. You don't know what I've been through for me to be able to leap and to dance. He went through so much to be able to get to the place where he could fully praise God. And he didn't give a flip what anyone else thought. It was for an audience of one. I remember in college, um, I was at this conference, and I remember the speaker saying, don't judge someone for raising their hands when they worship, or when they need to get on their knees, or when they just sit silent with their tears, because you don't know what that person had to go through to raise their hands, or to get on their knees, or to come and sit in a pew and cry. Don't judge them. So... What is a truly genuine person? So I looked up some articles, um, Huffington Post and Psychology Today, I kind of meshed them together, and here are some signs. So we're going to ask this question of ourselves: am I really a genuine person? We're going to look at this. One, you have self, high self-esteem. You forge your own paths and your own uniqueness. Two, you embrace vulnerability and failure. You can admit your faults. You don't have to have it all together. Three, you share your true thoughts, your beliefs, and your opinions with the world. Four, you openly give and receive compliments. I, I kind of was like, really? That's genuine? But it says, those who are authentic and maintain a solid sense of self-esteem don't view compliments with strings attached or, genuine, or agendas. Um, one thing I loved when I first came to West Hills is Dave Carlson, after every time I would preach, would come up and say, that was a great sermon. You're a great preacher. You're a good pastor. And after you do that, like after how many years, four and a half years, you're like, come on. There's, no, this isn't genuine. He's just, he's just like Chandler. He's just on a stick that he can't not say, right? But then as I begin to talk to other people, um, and, I, and I hear someone like Tiffany Martinez says, man, that Dave Carlson, every time I was working in the nursery, would say, I really see you. I really appreciate what you're doing. It's like, wow, like, this isn't just something that he's saying to me. This is something genuinely who he is and how he's trying to spread um, who he is into our community. Five, you really listen. You prefer the deeper conversations. Genuine people find it real easy to let go of the distractions, to focus really intently um, on a conversation and what that person really has to say. And six, you're driven by the inner voice, the inner expectations, rather than the outer expectations and the surroundings around you. Genuine people say what they mean and they mean what they say. They're not fake, they're not hypocritical. 
Um, and it's also not a license to sin, right? You could also say, hey, I genuinely don't like you. <laughs> so I'm genuinely going to be mean to you. No, that's called sin. <laughs> that's not the same. That's different. Um, but Matthew 6, 37 says, all you need to say, Jesus says, yes or no. Your yes is yes, your no is no. And beyond anything, it comes from the evil one. Are you a genuine person? Are your relationships with God, with yourself, and other people, are they genuine? Do you say one thing to someone, but secretly think or say something else that's different? When was the last time you really got honest before God with all the things that you really feel and think? Do you stuff them down? Or do you kind of overly obsess about them? What, what allows us to actually be free, to let go so that we can truly be who God's called us to be? Pastor Mark uh, talked about some of those deep barriers uh, that are biblically rooted in shame and in blaming one another. Um, that we, in our shame, we just want to blame someone else to maneuver our own sense of belonging so that we feel like we fit in. He talked about the good, the Samaritan woman at the well who had five husbands and encountered Jesus who exposed her shame and then embraced her with generously giving her living water. So how do we get there? How do we get to that place where we can move beyond all of that? Um, the process of being genuine. Not so fun. I, I think it really takes pruning. Um, where if you've seen my yard, it really needs pruning. Um, but I know that if I don't do it, uh, that the roses don't come back better. Um, it, it makes me think of that old school song. Okay, y'all know I can't sing. But like, refiner's fire, my heart's one desire. Yes. Yeah, so like, it's that sense of like, in order to truly be pure, um, but we do have to kind of go through the pruning. We have to go through that fire. Um, and this is where I believe God uh, is calling us to do that. Um, from the message, John 15. Uh, you may stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so that it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown in the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, 
you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted on. This is how my Father shows who God is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept the Father's commands and made myself at home in his love. The reading of God's word for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We were created, the scripture says, to bear good fruit. This is what this whole piece is about. And the thing that's really tough to hear, though, is that in order to bear abundant fruit, is that we have to be pruned. That parts of us need to be cut off. Things that are not bearing good fruit, so that more fruit can come. So what is God pruning in your life? Not just that I need to get rid of something because it don't spark me joy. That's called decluttering. (laughs) I'm talking about what is choking you? What is stunting your growth? What needs to be cut off and completely done away with? What's hurting your relationships with God, yourself, and others? I think this pruning piece takes some honesty and humility. Um, Honesty is pretty much asking the hard questions. Am I willing to be vulnerable? What's coming up in me that needs to be examined? Am I being honest with myself? What am I feeling? Am I sad? Am I ticked off? Am I hurt? Am I joyful? Am I offended? Am I relieved? What do I need to own? And what do I need to not own? Am I trying to be something that I'm really not? I wish I thought of that when I was mountain biking. (laughs) And humility. Is there pride in my heart? Hardness. How do my interact how do my interactions impact other people? What are the faults and weaknesses that I need to own? And where do I need to ask for mercy and forgiveness and help? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, Content with insults, content with hardships, content with persecutions, content with calamities. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. The pruning comes through that honesty, those hard questions, and that humility. And it builds habits. Um, and it builds habits of confession. I really feel, as I've been really wrestling um, with this sermon, I actually had a kind of a really hard time with it. Um, but I was like, what is the fruit, and then how do you get there? And I really feel like it's all wrapped up in prayer. I do think that it is connecting to the vine. I think it is getting outside of ourself um, and getting honest and, and coming before God. I think it is confession, and I do think it bears great fruit. Um, Hebrews 12 tells us this, that no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Actually, it's really painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Therefore, church, strengthen your feeble arms. Strengthen your weak knees. Make level for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled. That the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Amen? So I'm kind of doing this a little backwards. It's a little awkward, but normally I would do like a confession at the end of a sermon, um, more in a sense of a response. But I kind of wanted to do it in the middle of the sermon. So we're going to take a moment. Um, and, and as we've been thinking about King David's life, um, as we've been thinking about this man who was um, the man after God's heart, um, the man who didn't look at the outward appearance but looked at the heart, who also came to a place of royalty, who also royally messed up over and over again, um, I'm going to look at one of his psalms, um, one of his songs he wrote from Psalm 51. The prophet Nathan comes to him and he calls him out and says, man, um, what you did with that whole Bathsheba thing, that was messed up. <laughs> um, he didn't actually say it like that, but that's my translation for the youths. So, but, but he comes to him, and, and David comes with honesty and hard questions and humility, and he comes with this psalm. So we're going to sit in a moment um, and, and just listen to the psalm um, listen to the confession, and if you can even try to, um, to say the confession um, within yourself too. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, Blot out the stain of my sins against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Please don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. 
Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Just take a moment of silence and know that you can come to a God who knows you and has made you and loves you, that you can be honest and you can humble yourself. The scripture says that if you confess your sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. When we sit in that place, when we get through the pruning, when we get to that place of getting real and getting genuine with God, it bears great fruit, church. It bears great fruit. So what does this fruit look like? Genuine people are connected to a genuine God, and they have a contagious belonging that extends to others. Jesus helped leopards and the blind and the sick and the Samaritan and the women and the prostitutes and the children and the fishermen and the tax collectors and the sinners and all the people who were out in the margins and rejected. And they did not just feel like, but they knew that they belonged to Jesus. And that the genuineness of not having to pretend to be like something else that you are not, but to freely be your true self, to be welcome, to be embraced, is contagious. Being your true self does not excuse sin. It is coming to Jesus and finding this deep love. It transforms us. And it makes us the true worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. Who then go out and say, I have been healed. I have been redeemed. I have belonged. That I cannot help but to extend that love to everyone else. It is contagious. As Mark preached about the woman who met Jesus at the well where her shame was being brought up, that she was with five husbands and was probably with another man's wife. And Jesus says, come and drink the living water. This is what happens. John 4, 28, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, everybody come. 
See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. He knew my stuff. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. I want some of that belonging too. I want some of that genuineness too, Jesus. And he stayed with them for two days. And this is what verse 41 says. And because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. Amen? Our deep understanding of our genuineness connected to the vine, allowing ourselves to humbly and honestly get pruned by Jesus, ends up with a contagious worship. That we can't help but to go out and tell people who this Jesus is. And that for more people to be extended into the family of God's love. The second thing, the fruit that we see, is a contagious hospitality. Saul was David's enemy who tried to kill him, right? He tried to kill him. And when a new king came to a throne back in the day, the first thing that you would do or you would fear is, now does does anyone else in this house belong to King Saul? Anyone? Anyone else going to come and like take over my throne? Because I just got here and it was really hard to get here. Anyone? All right. So that's what they would normally do, and what they would do is then they would send out someone and go kill anyone else who was left in that previous kingdom, that that previous throne. So this is what King David says. King David asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I should show kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. When Mephizoshep, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, David's arch enemy, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephizoshep, At your service, he replied. Do not be afraid. Have we not heard that in scripture before? Do not be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, my arch enemy, And you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you would notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said, I have given your master's grandson 
everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's Saul, grandson, may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Now, this was a moment for David to, to begin his kingdom. He was in a place of power. He could, he could try to impress everybody with his power and his successfulness or be well-loved or um, be associated uh, with all the high and mighty. But instead, he associates with his enemy, with the lowly, with the lame. David knew he was royally anointed, but he knew he was royally messed up. He knew what it was like to be the smallest of the pack. He knew what it was like to be the greatest warrior. And in all the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, he knew he belonged to God and that God was with him and God was for him and God would never forsake him. That he did not need to be insecure about his lovedness. And that belonging, that lovedness, allowed him to be generous and hospitable and worship. It allowed him, the genuineness, our fruit is, is that we can even love our enemies. We can show kindness to those who mistreat us. Because who we are is wrapped up in God and not what other people say or think or do. Amen? It is a freedom that Christ has set us free. Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons, neither present or future or any powers, neither height or depth or anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. That is some good news. We need an amen for that. We undoubtedly belong to Jesus. And no matter how small or lame or royally messed up we are, God invites us to the table. A table where the, the invitation of God's sacrifice transforms us. And it is the genuine, contagious belonging of the kingdom of God that I pray and hope to continually see here at West Hills. The thing here, my friends, is that we are not David. We are Mephibosheth. We are the ones who do not deserve to be at the table. We are the ones that Jesus, the king, invites us to. 
says, I know the sins of your ancestors. I know how crazy your family is. But I'm going to do something new, and you are mine. And you will eat at my table forever. And this belonging, this kind of belonging, should fill us up with contagious worship and contagious hospitality to take our two lame feet to find everyone else who is lame and lost and scared and forgotten and say, how can I show kindness to them? We are the Samaritan woman at the well, sneaking out in our shame, hiding our secrets, asking how can this Jewish man be talking to me? We are the ones exposed of our true self, not just as somebody who has been sleeping around. We are exposed as someone who's thirsty. And Jesus sees our sins and we confess them honestly and he forgives freely. And we are free to be our true, genuine selves. No need to be anyone else but you. You just do you. And this is good news. Good news that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior bringing living water to our thirsty, false selves, to free us to our genuine selves. May this bear great fruit in your life and in this church. May we go out seeking to tell others how good God is. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you confessing that we feel like we have two lame feet that the inner critic inside of us, our imposter syndrome, begins to tell us lies that we do not belong. And God, forgive us that we believe them. And we believe them so deeply that we end up living them out in ways that are harmful and hurtful to people that we love. Thank you that you forgive us over and over again. And God, we pray that we would continue to build habits of honesty and humility that will continually prune and free us to be contagious in our worship and hospitality, that we would be a church that genuinely has contagious belonging for everyone who is thirsty. We pray this for your glory and your name. Amen.